All right, well, welcome to New Life, everybody. Listen, if you guys go ahead and find the seats, that would be perfect. Thank you so much for joining us here in our main auditorium. How many people are excited to be at church today worshiping God? Come on. Yes, I love it. I love it. Also want to say a big hello to everyone worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. And I know, I know that we have some people from our North Platte campus that are actually in the venue with us. Uh, So I'm saying a big hello to all of you guys. Glad to have you guys with us. We're one church, multiple locations. And um, if you like things like that, we're always looking for more people to serve in our tech ministries to help us pull that off. So I would uh, definitely encourage you, go to our website, mindyourlifechurch.com. There's all kinds of ministry opportunities. You can sign up for one and someone will get a hold of you and help you get plugged in. Hey, we're wrapping up our current teaching series. It's been entitled... Um, the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed. Some of you guys are big Rocky fans, and uh, you asked me if I was going to have a second series to this one be called like um, Apollo's Creed, and the answer to that's no. Just so just want to be clear with that, all right? And if you don't know that joke, well then, I, I'm sorry. Um, so in wrapping this teaching series up today, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed. We're going to land on the last big sentence that's dealing with the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. I'm, my whole hope here today is that you be thoroughly encouraged by the time you walk out of this door and fired up, excited about living for Jesus today in light of what's coming tomorrow. So with that said, though, we do know that from the National Institute of, Institute of Mental Health that 68% of Americans, 68% of Americans have a fear of death. Now, obviously, that's going to be on, on all different types of scales. Some are just going to, they're going to max the scale out at 100%, and others are going to be somewhere down at 1%. But <clears throat> a lot of Americans, and in fact, all of humanity, death is this unknown. It is this mystery Um, where, you know, you haven't gone and visited it and come back, so you don't really know, and we're we're hoping in a truth to believe in life after death. And that's one of the powerful things of Christianity, and before you walk out of these doors today, you're going to understand with a very clear understanding the power of what we do know of life after this life. And I'm telling you right now, what we know about heaven and what we know about the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting should cause us to live for Jesus more today than we ever have before. Because there's a lot of religions that are speaking a lot of different things about what happens after this life. Go to Islam as an example. Islam pictures the world, um, you know, it's going to come after this. It's a paradise for all men who are just like kind of like over the top, like we're, we're zealots for, uh, for Islam, and that those guys are going to somehow, you know, be able to rule in some manner with 60 virgins. I um, mean, that's kind of their focus. That's kind of their idea. That's their whole hope is that they would live in such a way that they would get those 60 virgins at the end and live eternity that way. Buddhism, Buddhism um, is a whole different mindset. They're Uh, they're just in this spot of life where their whole goal is to end the cycle of suffering and then just to not exist anymore. Sounds somewhat inspiring. Um, Hinduism. Hinduism, for any of you guys that know about that, they're they're looking for the, the cycle of rebirth, the reincarnation. And their whole hope is in karma, that if they do enough good things, that they'll build up a bank account, that somehow they'll move up in the chain of humanity, Um, or of all of creation, 
And if they do bad karma, they, they don't do enough good things, and they move down in the sequence of creation. And so they're hoping to like do enough good things that they'll come back as maybe a king or a queen or a prince or a governor of some sort. But if they don't do enough good things, then they might come back as a rat or a cockroach. Again, that's not too inspiring. Mormonism, Mormonism believes that heaven is a place where you might be able to rule over your own planet as a mini kind of God. And the whole statement there cruxes on, it hinges on the statement of you might be able to. You might be able to. Uh, Pop culture, though, in our pop culture version of Christianity, we see heaven as this, you know, peaceful place where puffy white clouds are and everybody that's there wears white and we all have little wings and we play little harps. And that's what we do for eternity. Sounds like a blast. And then there's the biblical version. The biblical version of eternity. This life everlasting is radically different than all the things we just talked about. It's a place where heaven exists right now. It is concrete. There, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is a heaven, and it exists right now. And in heaven, there is our God, who is sitting on the throne, and he's king of kings, and he is lord of lords, and he's ruling and he's reigning all, all of his creation, all of his creation, including you and me, and that one day, because of what he did through his son Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity with him in heaven, worshiping, glorifying him, and fulfilling his mission, and fulfilling his heart for our lives. Which I think, if God is the one who created all these things that we see, and all that we know, and all that is unknown, that we're still discovering, he's a pretty creative God. My guess is that heaven's going to be a pretty creative place. It's not going to be some boring place where you sit around and you figure out how to master a harp. It's going to be very purposeful with a mission that's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. If what I see blows my mind away, what I haven't seen is getting ready to blow all my senses away. So Christianity, true Christianity, is the only religion on the earth that believes in a heaven that is holy and that is righteous with our God who sits and he reigns on the throne and that we are going there to glorify and to worship him. All the other ones created this eternity that was centered around them. I might be able to get this planet that I might be a mini-god of. I might be good enough that I'll get these 60 virgins. I might be good enough that I would move up the food chain of humanity instead of down. But it was all about them. Christianity is living completely for him. And it starts here on this earth. It's not a, it's not a switch that gets flipped in our hearts where we go from, you know, well, we'll live for ourselves now, but then in eternity we'll live for God. No, it's it starts now. We live for God today, and we keep living for him in eternity. And so in the early church, when the creed was written to make sure that all of Christianity was on the same playing field, everyone believed the same doctrine, they felt it was so important that Christians knew that there was a hope to come of a new life, a life everlasting, where you, will ne- you, you don't die in a grave and rot in a grave, but that you, are, you rise again and you live forevermore. So, the statement in the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Contrary to popular belief, in this 
life to come, we are not going to be some ghostly figure that just kind of moves around like movies or, you know, our soul without some kind of dimension. Um, The Bible clearly tells us that the life everlasting and this resurrected uh, self is going to be a body. It's a resurrected body that comes. And Paul speaks a lot about this resurrection of the body and this life everlasting, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's going to be a long passage, but I want to go there to kind of get our premise for the rest of today's message. So you can kind of read along with me to yourself, but Paul says this, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? He says, basically, what a foolish question. But then he goes on to explain it. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, and that's, that's true, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever it is that, that you're planting. Then God gives it the new body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies, they're they're buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. That's good news, by the way. They will be buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. That's a good spot to say amen. Okay, just making sure you guys are with me, all right? They will be buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. There is a great hope for us that what you, what you experience today is not what you will experience for eternity. That what you feel and you sense and all that is you is going to change. There's going to be a radical, radical transformation. In this passage, Paul really kind of highlights a few different things. I want to bring out basically four of them that I see here in this passage that I thought might be really encouraging for us with this statement, the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. First is that in verse 42, uh, Paul drives home the point that your spiritual body will be imperishable. Imperishable. That means it's never going to wear out. It's never going to grow old. It doesn't deal with sickness. Aches and pains are gone. Okay, all right. Just Just wanted to make sure. Now, for some of us, all right, um, listen how I say this. For some of us that are young, um, I know, I'm at that, I'm at that, that line right there. I, in fact, I'm a little achy today. So, um, for those that are younger that might not kind of have the same punch, as we grow older, and I'm experiencing this, there is a greater and greater hope to the fact that this body was designed to wear out. So you might be young today, but what you need to know is that the body that you live in is designed to wear out. It wasn't designed to be forever. God has something else for us. There is something else that he's going to pour out upon humanity. Here's the second thing that that he says in verse 43, that our bodies will be raised in glory. Our bodies will be raised in glory. Basically what he's saying here is that, you know, our body's going to be raised with a beauty and with an attraction. Yeah. Well, I, that, would, that doesn't surprise me. You know, when God looks at you today, 
No matter what you think about yourself when you looked into the mirror today, when God looks at you, he goes, that's beautiful. It's attractive. When God sees you, why? Because God's the one who created you. You might go through some real hellish days. There might be some days that you go through that are difficult. There might be moments where your attitude is just kind of like, it's down, it's down in the dumps. And you look into the mirror and you're just like, you're not happy with anything you see. You need to know something. When God looks at you, he sees something that's beautiful. And when God gives the new body, it's going to be even greater than what you have now. The new body, raised in glory, with beauty and with attractiveness. In verse 43, Paul also said that our bodies are going to be raised with power. Power. This body that I have right now is weak. There's only so much it can do. But this new body is going to be raised with power. Now, before some of you younger guys start thinking, well, man, it's going to be like a superhero. Like, I know what I'm going to ask God for. There's the ability to, you know, jump over tall buildings with a single bound. Well, that was Superman already. He already asked for that one. All right? It's not a Superman power. Why in this world to come, why in the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting in heaven with God do our bodies need power? If it's not for the fact that God has a mission for us to accomplish. And we're going to need that power to accomplish his mission. God is a very purposeful God. God is a very strategic God. God is one who has planned out the destiny of humanity. He has already written what is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end and I'm telling you today that the purpose of God for your life today is clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything. Love him more than you love anything else on this planet. And then take the love of God and love others. There is a new mission that's coming in this life. Life after this. That our bodies are going to need a power to accomplish the perfect and currently, right now, indescribable will of God. But we're going to need it. And so, therefore, God's going to give it. And lastly, in verse 44, Paul highlights the fact that we're going to get spiritual bodies. He said, just like you have natural bodies, you will have a spiritual body. That gives some kind of definition to it. We're not some entity that just floats around. We're not some spirit that just kind of floats without any kind of dimension. It's a body. It's got dimension to it. It's got a, a physical you know, uh, component to it. There is a body that's going to be there. And that body that's being raised from the dead that we all put our hope and our, our promise in is one that's being perfectly created by God to accomplish his mission and his will. See, it's this belief it's this belief that early Christians held on to when they faced incredible persecution. That if I should die here, I will be raised again. It's the, it's the concrete foundational doctrine that, you know, there's the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting that causes our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are facing, you know, dire persecution, you know, from different groups and terrorism and different governments is that they stand strong, and in the face of adversity, they look a sword right in the face, and they say, glory to God, because they know that if this life ends, there's a life to come, and it's going to be greater. And no matter what happens in your life, no matter what persecution might come or face us in this own nation, no matter what we face in our lifetime, we need to know this. 
We're not living for the accomplishments of this planet. We're living for the accomplishments that happen in glory in heaven. Our treasure is not here. This is not where my treasure and my fame is being built. My treasure and my fame is being built in the life everlasting. Thessalonians tells us that some will not experience death. That they will be raised to meet Jesus in the air. If that were to happen tomorrow, that would be a glorious day. But if it doesn't happen for a hundred years, then one day, Jeff Baker's body is not going to exist anymore. And I want you to know something right now. That's not a bad day. That's a transition day. That's a day of when I'm putting my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And that one day Jesus will call the name of all of those who have followed him, whether they're in the grave or they're walking on this earth, and they will be caught to meet him in the air. That is a glorious day. That's what caused the early church to thrive. In the second and the third century, the church grew from 6 and 8% to somewhere around 50% of the known Roman Empire. Just within about 100 years. You want to know why? Here's the reason why. Because during that 100 years, there was two critical plagues that swept the land at that time. One happened in AD 165 and the other one 251. And these plagues were so destructive and so deadly that they literally wiped out villages and towns and wiped out cities. At some points, historians say that 35,000 people were dying every single week. The plague was being spread by the contact from one human being to another. And so people were just literally freaking out and they were in fear. Can you imagine even the second time that it came around? They would leave loved ones in their bed, in their home, and they would run for the hills, they would run into the country. If people had wealth, or they were doctors, or they had some means to help others, they took their wealth and they left. People were leaving children behind, moms were being left behind, grandmothers and grandfathers were being left behind, left to suffer and to die on their own because the plague was so brutal. With the exception of one group, the Christians. The Christians, when one of their family members got sick, they didn't abandon them. They loved them, and they cared for them. And the Christians literally started caring for those who were abandoned. The pagans at that time, non-Christians who were abandoned, they started loving them. They started caring for them. They started nurturing them, and great things started happening. So why did the church grow during those days? It grew because Christians started showing love toward one another, and they started showing love even towards others. They realized, when this plague comes, plague can come. And Christians died, by the way. Christians that stayed died, but they said the plague, the, the plague is just on this earth. It's not going to affect my resurrected body. And so because there's a resurrection and there's a hope of a future of life everlasting, I can stay here in this sickness. I can stay here in this plague and I can love people. So why did the church grow? Because there was a hope beyond this earth. There was a belief in something beyond what they were experiencing at this very moment and they actually activated it. They actually lived by it. And by faith they said, what I see with my own eyes is just on this earth. So whatever takes my life here, takes my life. But I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love others. 
And the church soared from 6 and 8% to 50%. Now contrast that give-it-all kind of a lifestyle with what we hear today. What do we hear today about living? Are we living for a, a, a life after this? Are we living for the resurrection of the dead? What do you hear in our nation? What do you hear around the world? What's permeating the, the culture of humanity? Live for today. There is no tomorrow. Do whatever you want to today. Who cares about tomorrow? There's no certainty. Truth, truth for you, truth for me. Does it really matter anyways? So just go make yourself happy today. Do anything you need to to make yourself happy today because when this life is done, it's done. Well, here's the interesting news. That's not just an idea that has permeated our current culture. Paul dealt with the very same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says it in verse 32. If there is no resurrection, then this is the mindset. Let's just feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's, it's almost like you've heard these words before. You, you hear them. They, they permeate all of our advertisements. They filtrate down through movies and TV shows and in the, in the mind's eye of the elite. And they think to themselves that I can do whatever I want. It's almost like, you know, I'm... Like, I don't know, like I'm a superhero. Just live however you want. There used to be this statement, you know, a couple of years ago, you used to hear it all the time, YOLO. You only live once. That means basically, go do whatever you want. I'm telling you this, there's no such thing and no such truth as YOLO. You don't just live once. There's a resurrection of the dead. And you and me are either going to spend eternity with God or we're going to spend eternity in the judgment. And guys, gals, Listen to me. Don't believe the lie of those who say, live for today, drink, be merry, do whatever you want. Tomorrow we're just going to die and it's all over. This is what Paul said. He said this about those people that say those things. He goes, don't be, in the very next verse, don't be fooled by those who say such things. I know it's an attractive message that's in our culture. Very attractive to this younger generation. Just to do what you want. You only get so much time on this planet, so just make yourself happy. Sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Drink, shoot, whatever it is you want to drink or shoot. Go do whatever you want to do. Don't, you don't have to even be productive if you don't want to be productive. Don't, don't go to college. Don't try to achieve anything. I mean, just, you know, because life's only going to, it's just going to be so short and you know, why give it any effort anyways? Why is there such an attack on life? Because there's no hope for a future. Why is there such violence and, you know, anger and everything being stirred up? Because there's no hope for a future. It's like everything is built here. My whole treasure is here. But when we have a hope for a future, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we live. It brings us back into alignment with God and his clarity. So let me just say to you today, you live for the king today and you will live with the king forever. Live with the king today and you'll live with him forever. That's where our focus is. God's got an incredible promise for those who will live with the king today. 
If you, if you live for the king today, the incredible promise is found in like a verse like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined. Read the, back, read the last part with me. What God has prepared for those who love him. You know what that means? This sermon's over. I've got no words to describe what God has prepared for those. No eye has seen it and no ear has heard it. No mind can even imagine it. No vocabulary is big enough to define what eternity with God looks like. I can't define what it is that God's prepared for us. But I know this. We need a new spiritual body to accomplish it. And I know that there's a resurrection of the dead. And I'm not raising up, you know, with this body. I'm raising up with a new body to accomplish what God has for me. And that's the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus. So I encourage all who hear my voice today, take great hope in the promise of the resurrection and live for God. Live for God with nothing to lose and with everything to gain. That means be bold for him. You have everything to gain. Stand up for the principles of righteousness. You have everything to gain. Nothing to lose. Yeah, but someone's not going to... They're not going to like what I do. They're, you know, they're, they're, someone's going to kind of quantify me into this like, man, you're like a radical Christian, and I don't know what that's, what's going to happen to me. Who cares what one person thinks compared to what a holy, mighty, powerful God thinks? You see what I'm saying? Don't let the voice of the created determine how you live. Let the voice of the creator determine how you live. That's, that's how we live. Don't be rude to what God's created. Don't be rude to one another. Don't step on each other just because, you know, well, man, I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Well, if that's your attitude, you might not make it. God says, love him with everything and then love others. There's something contagious about the way we live on this earth that will cause others to want to spend eternity with God in heaven. Let your life be lived in such a way that it's contagious, meaning people would actually want to live like you're living. I'm afraid that there are some Christians, they call themselves Christian, but the way that they live, it really kind of like, it pushes people farther away from the king. Let's be careful that our actions don't push people farther away from the king. But let's make sure we spread the hope that there is a life after this one. See, the resurrection of the dead is not just going to be for good people. It's not going to be for people that do good things. The Bible says the resurrection of the dead is held for those who stay thirsty. Revelations says this in chapter 21. It says, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of what? Life. I think Indiana Jones, way back in the day, searched for the waters of life. I think others have searched for the spring of water that when you drink of it, you never grow old. You always stay young. People have tried to find this kind of spring. Let me tell you where this spring exists. This spring exists in heaven, and it flows from the throne of the living God. And it is a promise for all who live today knowing that there's a resurrection of the dead to come. That there is life after this, and this water that flows from the throne of God 
that this river of life, that all who drink of it have eternal life. Everything that drinks of it has eternal life. So God says to us, stay thirsty for me. You know what it means to stay thirsty for God? To acknowledge a complete dependence on God in all things and in all ways. To be able to live in a way that just says, God, my life without you is nothing. I am, I'm like filthy rags without you. I'm, I'm a sinner without you. I can't speak a solid word that brings life to anybody without you, Jesus. My life is nothing without you. That's staying thirsty. That's recognizing where the true source of life comes from. That's recognizing that, you know, I'm not living for what I can get and satisfy myself today. I'm living for what I thirst on, which is God. I would say to you, like the beer commercial Dos Equis says, with the man, the most incredible man on earth, you know the whole advertisement scheme? Don't act like you're like, you know, pious Christians that every time a beer commercial comes on, you turn the TV off. You've seen the Dos Equis commercial with the most incredible man and with his Spanish accent, he says these words, right? Stay thirsty, my friends. Or something like that. With, you know, probably a much better accent than when I just said it. But I say to you today, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty for the knowledge of God. Stay thirsty for the ways of God. Stay thirsty for the fellowship with God. Stay thirsty for the ministry of God. Stay thirsty for the community of God. Stay thirsty for what we have here. Stay thirsty for what God wants to do inside of you. And stay thirsty for what God wants to do through you. Jesus said that whoever stays thirsty for him is going to have eternal life and will experience the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. Amen? Why don't you stand with me today? I want you to know today, here in our main auditorium, in North Platte, in the venue, we have altars. The altars at the front of our auditoriums are for the thirsty today. They're for those who thirst more after Jesus. They want more of them in their life. You might want to come and kneel down at one of these altars. You might just want to come and stand and just praise God at this altar as an act of saying, God, I'm so thirsty for you that I recognize There's nothing that I can do that's going to sustain life, but if I run to you, you are the sustainer of my life, and so I want to be thirsty for you. I would encourage you to do something like that today, even if it's at your own seat. Well, we're going to end our teaching series, the Apostles' Creed, one more time by quoting this powerful statement of doctrine and what we believe and who our God is and how we're going to live. And I would challenge you that hear my voice today. Let's quote this and let's state this with an attitude of worship and with a proclamation of boldness that we believe that this is our God and this is how we're going to live. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge 
the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen? Come on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that promises us that we don't just live this life on this earth and then go into a grave and rot away someplace, but that there is a resurrection, that, Lord, we're living for a day where we're going to spend eternity with you in heaven, accomplishing your will, more more, uh, closely connected to you than we've ever been connected to you. Lord, I look forward to that day, Lord, to be in your presence to stand in your holy temple and to worship you and to lift my hands to you and to lift my voice to you and to proclaim you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that privilege comes, Lord, through my proclamation of you today and my faith in you today and living for you today. So Lord, as we come before you to worship you, would you make your presence known to us today? And as we seek you, may we find you as we thirst after you, may our thirst be quenched today. So Lord, stir inside of our hearts a great desire to know you, to know you deeper, to know you more in this very moment that we stand than maybe ever before in our life. Thank you for the hope of life everlasting. And now we worship you. In the days in which you give us breath, we choose to use this breath to lift high the name of Jesus and to proclaim how amazing and incredible you are. In Jesus' name, amen.